0: Ministries Podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson
1: and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 9:10 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. Today we're continuing in our series, Sin Filled Nation. Before we start, I just want to say if you hear a noise in the background that sounds like pattering, it is pouring in Georgia, has been for a couple days and is going to continue to pour. For about four more days so sorry about that build the ark that's right and at least though it's not snow like you're having in pennsylvania Yep, we're gonna get ice today so Ugh. sounds
0: lovely <laughs> we haven't had church for three weeks because of this stuff so oh my that's,
1: it's not good it's crazy weather so chris let's well, start by me asking you a question have you ever opened your mouth and said something without thinking and then later you really regretted it hasn't everybody me more yeah, than others. <laughs> yeah,
0: not, I I, have a problem with that sometimes. But, you know, most of us haven't had the dire consequences from it that our judge Jepht is going to, as we're going to see in today's episode. But there's a lot more to learn to Jephthah's story than just to keep your mouth shut when you should not open it. <laughs> so let's dive in.
1: Last week, we saw the Israelites becoming even more like the Canaanites by starting to turn on and kill each other under the rule of Abimelech. Great episode if you didn't listen to it. That was followed by 45 years of rule under two more judges, Tola and Jair, who the Bible doesn't say much about. We aren't even told whose hands they delivered Israel from. Right. And they may have just delivered them from themselves. True, But
0: after Jair's death, yeah, I mean, because we saw how bad it was last week. But after Jair's death, things get worse, believe it or not. I'm going to start by reading one verse, Judges 10, verse 6. It says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So, Rose, what two things do you see from that one verse?
1: Well, first, I see that they aren't worshiping God at all. And they aren't just worshiping the Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah, anymore. They're worshiping the gods of all the people that surround them on every side. Exactly. So what does God do?
0: I'll read on. It says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed.
1: If you were looking at a map of the promised land, you'd see that part of Israel is on the west side of the Jordan River and part of them settled to the east side of the Jordan. Their enemies, the Philistines, are on the southwest border. The Ammonites, on the other hand, are on the east side. So if these two enemies have both crossed over to the opposite sides of the Jordan to wreak havoc, it means the Israelites are completely overrun from the east and from the west. The Israelites are crushed
0: here. This was the worst description that we've seen of their state so far in the book. These were enemies who'd already been defeated. And here they've started worshiping the same gods
1: as their enemies now. Here's God's chosen people who've ditched them and chosen other gods. Chris, when the Israelites stopped worshiping God, it seems he turned them over to their sin, which seems to have multiplied until they're worshiping all kinds of things. Well, Romans 1 is a good example of God turning
0: unrighteous people over to their sin. God's made it plain to all people that he's there. No one is without an excuse. When the truth of God and worship of him is exchanged for a lie and worship of other things, God gives them up to their sin until they're filled
1: with it. That's right. Let's read on in Judges ten, ten to 14, which says, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, the Amalekites and the Moabites oppressed you? And you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress.
0: Yeah, so they cry out to God, as we see in verse 10. But God says, cry out to the gods that you've chosen.
1: Let them save you. Why isn't he saving them when they cry out this time? Because basically, the Israelites are just giving them lip service. They knew God was there. But true faith in worship is a lot more than that. Satan and his demons know God is there. And right. if you notice, they admit they've sinned by serving the Baals. But that's only a partial truth. Why aren't they repenting of worshiping the gods of Syria or Sidon or Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines? Yeah, I mean, it's
0: only a partial truth. And we can't just have a mere knowledge and belief of God, like you said. You can't sit him on the shelf when you need him. He's not the elf on the shelf. <laughs> you know, I see this all the time, though, in social media groups. People who want to live however they please, and they get in trouble and then they cry to God for help. And I I will admit, this was me growing up. Like I never doubted that God was there, but I didn't want to have much to do with him really until I got in some sort of trouble and I wanted out of a tough situation. You know, I felt bad about my situation and then I wanted rescue. Right.
1: And true repentance isn't just feeling sorry over your circumstances and crying out to God about it. Even if we do truly believe God is real. Repentance is acknowledgement of your sin. It's doing a hundred and eighty degree turn from it towards God.
0: Eventually they do seem to repent. Verses 15 and 16 say, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord.
1: And he became impatient of the misery of Israel. They got rid of the idols and they worshiped God, but take notice that there's no response by God here, except that we're told he became impatient over the misery of Israel. What's that about, Chris?
0: Well, scholars are divided on what this means. The word impatient is just another anthropomorphism, meaning that means a word that's given something, a human quality so that we can better understand it. Is God's impatience? a result of his mercy, and he's getting ready to save Israel. That's what some commentators think. But as you know, that's not what they all think.
1: Now, others think he's impatient about their unfaithfulness and their desire to be saved out of their bad circumstances. In other words, is God holding back his anger because they're running to him for rescue only and not out of love? We're not told for sure, but I think we get some clues. I I think we do too. And our next judge, Jephthah.
0: Israel's being oppressed by the Ammonites and the Philistines. Today's episode focuses on the judge against the Ammonites. And then the next episode, we're going to take a a look at the judge who rescues them from the Philistines.
1: So let's read on. Okay. Judges 10, 17, and 18 says, Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they were encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Like we say
0: all the time, Rose, God is sovereign over everything, but he works his plans out sometimes using man's sin. God didn't raise up Abimelech in the last episode. Abimelech unrighteously seized power for himself, in his case by killing his half-brothers.
1: But God doesn't raise up today's judge Jephthah either. Jephthah is picked by the people. So they've rejected God, they've been rejecting God, and rejecting truth more and more. They didn't heed the words of the prophet God sent before Gideon was raised up. They rejected Abimelech's brother, Joash, who escaped and prophesied truth. And according to Judges 8.35, they did not show steadfast love to Gideon's family after he died in return for all the good he had done for them. That's actually mentioned twice. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. They don't want truth. Imagine that.
0: <laughs> But yeah, not like today, So They don't want God and nothing like today. They don't want God and they don't want truth, you know, and they treat the people that God puts over them who they should show respect and honor to because they've done good things for them very,
1: very, very badly. This is a picture rose of how they treat God. Exactly. These people have pushed God out of the picture. They don't worship God and they don't have any desire to find out what pleases them and they don't want to live by his rules. The constant theme of Judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, now they're going to pick their own leader according to what they feel is right.
0: Yeah, I'll read on. So Judges 11, 1 to 3 says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him.
1: Eventually, the Ammonites start the war against Israel in the region of Gilead. The leaders of this town, Jephthah's brothers, need a mighty warrior to lead them in the battle. So what do they do? They travel to Tob and ask Jephthah to lead them.
0: Yeah. So they've rejected God and they have picked a man to lead them. And it's a man whose posse is a bunch of worthless fellows. So yeah, this is going in a great direction. It's really going great.
1: Sure is. <laughs> Notice they treat Jephthah like they treat God. They kicked him out. Now they want him back. They only want him back because their backs are against the wall and they can't help themselves. They only want him when they need a mighty warrior, which he happens to be. Absolutely.
0: And remember in chapter 10, they'd also claimed that the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites shall be the head over the inhabitants of Gilead. They've already stated what's going to happen. They just don't know it yet. So they've already stated amongst themselves that the person that steps out and fights them is going to be their head. But when they go to Jephthah, they only ask him to be their leader, (laughs) like in the battle. You know, it's like, it is like God. Jephthah's story and God's story with these people are the same.
1: Yeah. You know, they want someone to lead the fight for them. That's all they really want. They don't want someone to rule over them. <laughs> you know, that's the quintessential default of the human heart. We want to be our own bosses. We don't want God to rule us. Just help us out. That's exactly right. Well,
0: that's that's what the problem's been ever since Adam and Eve. You know, I don't want anybody ever, over my head. And Jephthah answers them like God did. He reminds them of how they have mistreated him. And then he says, why have you come to me now when you're in distress? You know, And
1: their answer betrays their hearts. Judges 11.8 says, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we've turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. That might be the most true thing they've said, (laughs) but... Okay, so
0: I see two things in that statement. They state the truth, like I said, you know, why they came running to him for help, but they lie now and they say they wanted to be their head. First, it was leader, and now they're saying head. So it's almost as if they know how shallow they sound because they are shallow and they make it sound better. But, yeah, like you said, this is the default heart place that we all are. And, uh, you know, like we're laughing about it, but, you know, we've both been there. But this is how they treated God. So That's Jeff is right. a picture of that.
1: That's right. And going on, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as we say. So Jephthah went out with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all the words before the Lord at Mizpah. So they've
0: made a covenant with Jephthah to be their leader in their head, calling on God as their witness. And they do this at Mizpah. Well, there's a lot we could go into about this if we had the time to break that all down. Um, Jephthah's story has some things to do with King Saul, who's the leader later. But we can't talk about any, about any of that right now because we don't have time.
1: So let's talk about what happens next. Jephthah tries a peaceful solution to avoid war with the Ammonites. The king of Ammon is trying for a land grab of lands he has no right to, although he's making the claim that the land was originally theirs. Actually, the land was originally the property of a people called the Amorites. Right.
0: And Jephthah gives them a history lesson about the Israelites' move towards the Promised Land, saying that God defeated the Amorites on the way to the Promised Land. Therefore, the land in question definitely belongs to Israel.
1: Israel didn't take Ammonite land at all. In fact, Deuteronomy says God told the Israelites, I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. Jephthah knows the history of his people surprisingly well. The land in question has been in Israelite hands for 300 years by now. He knows the history well, but Chris, later we're going to see it's questionable how well Jephthah knows God's law.
0: Yes, yeah, sadly it is. Warfare is often viewed as a battle between the gods of opposing forces. And after the history lesson, Jephthah basically throws down the gauntlet and says to the Ammonites, if your god Chemosh is so great, why hasn't he given you this land already?
1: Now, let's see what's going on here. Jephthah is showing some contempt here because Chemosh was Moab's god, not Ammon's god. The Ammonites worshipped Moloch. Keep that in mind for later. Jephthah's is taunting the king of Ammon because basically he's saying, bring it on. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon.
0: So they're gone to war. And Jephthah does something that's very, very foolish
1: here. So let's read about it. He certainly does. Judges eleven twenty nine 29 to 31 tells about it. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So let's break this down.
0: Yeah, the Lord gave Israel's enemies into his hands, but not because Jephthah made an offer to sacrifice something to God with that vow. God never answers Jephthah's very misguided request. Leviticus twenty-two eighteen 18 to 20 tells us about making burnt offerings when a vow is made. That's what Jephthah is offering here, a burnt offering of whatever
1: comes out of his house. Then tragically, Judges 34, 40 tells what happened. And when Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter besides her. As soon as Jephthah saw her, he tore his clothes and said, no, not my daughter. You have brought me to my knees. You have brought great misery upon me, for I have given my word to the Lord and cannot take it back. "'My father,' she replied, "'you have given your word to the Lord. "'Do to me as you have said, "'for the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites.' "'She also said to her father, "'Let me do this one thing. "'Let me wander for two months through the mountains with my friends "'and mourn my virginity. "'Go,' he said, and he sent her away for two months. "'So she left with her friends and mourned her virginity upon the mountains. "'After two months, she returned to her father,' And he did do her as he vowed, and she never had relations with a man.
0: So it has become a custom in Israel that each year, the young women of Israel go out for four days and lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Now, Jephthah knew the importance of keeping his vow to the Lord, but people have a huge problem rectifying this passage with the fact that Jephthah is listed in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith and that the Holy Spirit was upon him when he made this vow.
1: Yeah. And if you look at some of the people in Hebrews 11, you know, it's, yeah, they try to jump through hoops to make this passage more palatable, but I don't think there's a way to make it more palatable. And like I said, we have to mm-hmm. remember Hebrews 11 is a hall of faith, not a hall of sinless people by any means, but not by any means.
0: Yeah. And the people with the Holy spirit on them in the old Testament, as well as people with the Holy spirit living inside them, which is every single Christian do horrible things. We all do, despite the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and and back then living on them or living in them. Did Jephthah actually sacrifice his daughter as a burnt offering? Most likely that answer is yes. You can't really get around it. But people try to get past it without meaning that he sacrificed her.
1: Yeah. Many try to say it means he dedicated her to the Lord, which means her being a virgin for her whole life. That would mean his lineage would be over and she would never know the joys of marriage and childbirth and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and it sort of sounds that way because of her request for two months to lament her virginity. But we have to keep in mind that childbearing was paramount to a woman's view of her worth and value in that day. So that really makes her request not that
1: unusual. The wording in his vow in verse 31 can be translated, the one who comes out. It's unlikely that an animal would come out of the house to greet him after his victory. It was common, though, for women to come out dancing after Israel's victory, meaning that Jephthah likely believed it would be a human sacrifice when he made that vow.
0: Yeah, Rose, the Bible wording often shows us stuff that's hinting towards something. Remember when you said to remember Jephthah tauntingly calling the Ammonite god Chemosh, but their god was really Moloch? Well, that should have caught our attention. And that's why you brought it to people's attention. And that's why you said, remember that. The Israelites became like their idol-worshipping neighbors.
1: And Moloch worshipers were used to doing human sacrifice. At the very least, the Israelites would be desensitized to it. Jephthah's reaction of tearing his clothes, which is a sign of mourning, and the things he says shows us he's devastated. But why would he be devastated at this if he didn't mean to sacrifice her? Yeah,
0: exactly. And the Israelite virgins lamented her. They didn't lament her virginity. Let's talk about a few more things having to do with this. If Jephthah had known Mosaic law as well as he knew Israel's history, he would have known how detestable human sacrifice is to God. And he would have known that he could have redeemed her life by paying a ransom, according to Leviticus 27.
1: You mean if Jephthah had known God's word, something really awful could have been avoided? (laughs) This is why we need to study our Bibles. Right, exactly.
0: And as horrendous as this story seems, to try to make it sound like something better than child sacrifice really doesn't fit with the theme of Judges. Remember, this book is about the Israelites spiral downward into more and more and more sin.
1: Yeah, Jephthah's daughter is looked at as a type of Christ because of her response. Matthew Henry says this, some learned men have made this sacrifice a figure of Christ, the great sacrifice. He was of unspotted purity and innocency, as she a chaste virgin. He was devoted to death by his father, so made a curse or an anathema for us. He submitted himself, as she did, to his father's will. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. All right, so let's finish Jephthah's story
0: here. After this, the men of Ephraim come to confront Jephthah. They say... Why have you crossed over to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go? This sounds familiar, doesn't it?
1: We will burn your house down with you inside. (laughs) Oh, those Ephraimites. Oh, those Ephraimites. (laughs) (laughs) So they're mad about not being part of a winning battle again. But Jephthah says in the next verse that he did call them out, but they refused to help. Remember, according to God, rules of holy war. If you didn't help your brother Israelites fight, you became the enemy yourself. So there's tribal war again. Yep. And there's history between these two tribes that we don't have
0: time to go into today. But here's what plays out. Judges 12 verses 5 and 6 says, And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim came and said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, say Shibboleth and he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. <laughs> this, this fractures me every time I read it. Then they seized him, and they slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. 42,000 of them couldn't say, shh,
1: they said, shh. Well, in World War II, that's where the term Roger came from, because Japanese people couldn't say ours. So they would know if they couldn't say Roger, that it probably was a Japanese and not an American soldier. So, and maybe they got it from this. Yeah, maybe. So if you were an Ephraimite with the wrong speech impediment, you died. You can't make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead.
0: I'll finish up chapter 12. After him, Isban of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters that he gave in marriage outside his clan and 30 daughters that he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Isban died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. And he judged Israel for 10 years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and he was buried at Ahijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrethonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. And I can hardly keep laughing, but I got to keep reading. Um, Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrethonite, died and was buried at Pyrethon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. You know why I'm starting to laugh when I get to those donkeys.
1: (laughs) I know. You always Just wonder me. why they rode donkeys and not horses whenever we teach this passage. I do, and I still don't have an answer for it. But that <laughs> is all we have time for
0: today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for release information and the cover reveal of our new book, The Bible Blueprint, a guide to better
1: understanding the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if you like what you hear on our podcast, Please subscribe to our Proverbs 9:10 ministry channel on Rumble or YouTube. You can also subscribe to the audio podcast on whatever platform you listen on so you'll never miss an episode.
0: We would greatly appreciate you rating and reviewing us on whatever platform you are tuning in on and consider following us on Miwi, Facebook, or Instagram to get all the latest happenings of Proverbs 9:10 ministries including daily posts, book news, Bible studies, speaking engagements and more have a blessed day everybody